Right. It's uh, again an honor to be able to be working through the greatest sermon ever preached, recorded here by uh, the Apostle Matthew. And uh, I want you to know that, again, we're dealing with a piece of Scripture which is perhaps the most difficult, well, commentators say, in the whole of Scripture. And so we, we're going slowly and carefully uh, because I want to ask you a question this morning, Sterling. Do you believe that every single word that Jesus said is there for a reason? Jesus said every single dot and comma matters. And so I'm hoping that you're valuing this kind of preaching where we're not shying away from the words. Sometimes you can have a preacher, and I've done it before, where you have an agenda and you want to say what you want to say so you can kind of brush over what's in Scripture so you can get there. I hope today you can see the desire to bring out what Jesus is saying and to do that with absolute confidence and to do that with absolute responsibility. And I was already on page 13 of my notes, and so I decided I better stop. Otherwise, no one's going to be able to cope with the amount of what I was going to preach this morning. Some of you are already going, oh, goodness. So I have decided that uh, I am going to cut it short and give you a teaser for next week um, and <laughs> look at something wonderful, wonderful and simple this morning based on our journey thus far. So let's read together from Matthew chapter 5, and I'll read from verse 17. Jesus speaking, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, which is the smallest Greek letter, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Big words. And I just want to remind you rapidly about how we got to this point because the flow of the scriptures here is essential to understanding what Jesus is saying. But to zoom out just for a moment, I want to remind you, the Christians never uncertain as to why they are here on earth. I've been thinking about increasingly a young parent like myself, a change in job, retirement. No matter what your season is, the Christian is asking one question, how do I follow Jesus in the context that he's put me? And that will make you a motivated person and that will make you a focused person. We are not uncertain as to why we're here on earth. And Jesus is preaching to his disciples and this sermon is for anybody who wants to follow Jesus because he says, if you will follow me, making him our first love, loving up towards Jesus, he is going to radically change your life. And he starts to describe the kind of people we become as we love him. And he describes it in the Beatitudes. And he says, guys, the way to the greatest blessed life that you can imagine, it's not lots of money in your bank account. Praise God, you take nothing with it when you die. It's not how sexy you are when you're 16. That's going to fail when you're 60. 
Doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter what you look like. What he's talking about is the blessed life that Jesus is talking about. It goes far beyond what this world is competing in our attention space for. The Beatitudes means supremely blessed. And he says, as this transforming power of loving Jesus is working in your life, it makes you taste different to the world around you. It's called salt. You look different. It's called life. And it's coming as a side effect of your focus to love, enjoy, and please Jesus in every single area of your life. But this is the shocking thing thus far. Jesus describes these awesome elements of following him, these descriptions of following him, and the effect of following him, and he has not even mentioned the law of Moses once. Now, for his Jewish audience, can you imagine the shock? These Jews were told from a young age, if you're going to please God, you have to keep the law. Almost 2,000 pieces of legislation. But Jesus describes this life of blessedness, and he doesn't even mention the law. And so for his disciples, they're going, whoa, Jesus, are you chucking out the law of Moses? Jesus, is your ministry so new that you're rewriting the Old Testament? Because you haven't even linked any scripture. There's no prophets or law thus far. And that's the question they're asking, and Jesus knows it. And he says to his disciples, do not think, I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. Ah, but to fulfill them. And we said, has anybody said such a profound thing in history ever before? Nobody, nobody has ever claimed to fulfill the entire law and then to say those 2,000 pieces of legislation or to say all of the prophecies and predictions in the Old Testament, they're about me. I'm about to fulfill them. And this word fulfill it is the word that unlocks all the other verses. When I say fulfill, remember, Jesus is not saying keep going, or he's not saying even cause to obey or cause others to obey. Fulfill means done, accomplished, ticked. And this is the dilemma that was created for his disciples, and it's the same dilemma for you and me today. Is any thinking Christian would ask the question, now that Jesus has come, what on earth must I do with this law? Right? Have you ever read Leviticus or, or Numbers recently? How does this apply to my walk as a Christian? Well, I say to you this morning, Jesus says, like we said last week, that the law has got a time frame. And the law, he says, in the next verse of verse 8, he says, For as truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law. In other words, until the end of this age, when Jesus wraps up this creation and, and forms a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, that law is in full force. You tamper with a dot or a comma, you're in trouble. But praise God, he has a disclaimer. He says, until all is accomplished. And if you were here last week, I used my discovery vitality status as an example is you've got this discovery saying, ha, you've got one year to achieve your points till the end of this age. Ah, but if I've achieved my points before the end of this year, I'm set free. They can't touch me. And so Jesus fulfills the law. And he says, for anybody who fulfills the requirements of the law, they're no longer under its authority. They're set free from it. 
And that's what we said last week. We said that Jesus achieved diamond status. He, achieved, he fulfilled the law. And for us as Christians who come to faith in Christ, we get his status. Do you know that? As a believer in Jesus, everything Jesus did on the cross, everything that his life, his fulfillment of the law, you receive as a gift. And so the authority of the law cannot touch you because you have diamond status. And uh, <laughs> this is the fascinating thing. We are no longer under the law. We are under Christ. We're not disciples of Moses. We're disciples of Jesus. We don't receive the law at salvation. We receive the Spirit. And was there any greater moment in the history of the church when at Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, do you know what Pentecost was celebrated for? The anniversary of the giving of the law. And what came down on Pentecost? Was it the law? No, it was the Spirit. And the Spirit changed the church forever. And from that moment, the church was never the same again. And Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of these words, that our righteousness as Christians will go as we walk by the Spirit far beyond the best of those who could keep the law, those scribes and Pharisees. Oh, I'm going to preach on that next week. Don't worry. I'm going to get there. But let me tell you, the irony is for the Christian, we not only meet the righteousness of the law, we outclass it by Living by the law? No, but by walking by the Spirit, Romans 8 verse 4. And here we have a change in this next verse. I say all this because it's important. In verse 19, Jesus' subjects changed. In the first two verses, he's talking about his relationship to the law. He's come to fulfill it. And until he's accomplished it, it's, we are fully under the authority. Well, actually, physical nation Israel is fully under its authority. But he says this in the next verse. He switches it to how his disciples have to relate to the law. And it is a very difficult passage because I'm going to read it to you and just think about what I've said and how that kind of has to fit in with what Jesus says. He says, therefore, in the light of what he's just said, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, he's talking about the law, and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so this verse asks three big questions. The first is, we've just been told that we're not under the law. And here Jesus is saying, if you don't keep the smallest dot or comma, if you don't also teach others to do the same, you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. The second is Jesus goes on to break his own instructions in just two verses' time. He says this law in its form, every dot and comma must be upheld. Jesus, in two verses' time, he rewrites the law. Don't you notice? He says, it is said that if, do not commit murder. But he says, I say to you on my authority, don't even get angry at your brother. If you get angry at your brother or sister, you've committed murder already. He's upgrading the law. He's rewriting it. He goes on to say, if you just look at a woman lustfully in your heart, forget about what the law says. The law says don't commit adultery. I'm saying if you've done that, under my authority, you've committed adultery already. Jesus is tampering with the law. He goes even further. He actually tells his disciples not to keep the law because when he talks about under the law, you had to take oaths. 
they were promises sworn. You had to keep it. And it, the law required you to make oaths. Jesus says, don't even make any oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Third big question <laughs> is that God himself told Peter, the apostle in the early church, to relax, to break the law. Don't you remember in Acts chapter 10? When he has that vision on the roof, and there Peter sees a sheet come down from heaven, and in it are all these unclean animals that the Jewish people weren't allowed to touch. And what does God say? Eat it. And Peter says, heck no. These are unclean. And God says to Peter, don't call anything that I have made clean, unclean. Welcome to a preacher's job. <laughs> I ask you this morning, what is Jesus saying? And our commentators are all over the place. But this is the point, and I hope that you see the value of it. Is that when you take every word seriously that Jesus says, the whole of Scripture opens up. He says until, in verse 18, the law is fulfilled, Israel, these Jewish disciples and him, are fully under its authority. That's why he says, therefore, He's talking about in just the previous verse, whoever relaxes the law or these commands are going to be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has not yet fulfilled the law. What did Jesus say when he died on the cross? He said, it is, it is finished. He was predicting what he had to do over the next two years, and he's keeping his word. He's saying, disciples, my Jewish brothers and sisters, if you're going to follow me until I have fulfilled the law, you better keep every single dot and comma. You don't relax a single commandment because I'm not relaxing a single commandment. I'm keeping it and you keep it. And until I have accomplished it personally, perfectly, you are still under it. And he predicts, He's doing two things all the time. He predicts that the future righteousness of these disciples is going to outstrip their current righteousness under the law. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he immediately starts preaching on his own authority. Can I say sometimes in the Christian walk, you will read something in Scripture and you'll go, what the heck? <laughs> Does that make any sense? And five or ten years down the line, you'll come back to it and go, I see. Let me tell you, if you were listening to Jesus preach, those disciples would have gone, what? You just told us to keep the law. Now you're telling us we have to exceed the law and not keep the law. Make up your mind, Jesus. Can I remind you that Jesus is doing two things here. The one is he's telling us why he came, that he still has to fulfill it. But then he's also pointing to his disciples that what is going to be like when it's mission accomplished? Let me tell you, on that cross, it was mission accomplished. What happened when Jesus said, it is finished in that temple with the Holy of Holies? That curtain, it, it tore in two. Ever wondered about that? Can I tell you what that curtain resembled? Oh, praise the Lord, it tore. It was the very physical picture of our separation from God and how close the law could get you to the presence of God. Do you know how close the law could get you to the presence of God? It was one man called the high priest. 
for one moment, once a year, to go into that Holy of Holies behind the curtain and hopefully be accepted and not struck dead when he presented the blood for the nation. That's how close the law could get you. Can you imagine those priests coming in to change the bread on that altar and to make sure the candles are still going and the, the incense is still rising up? Can you imagine when they walked in and suddenly the Holy of Holies is exposed to the world? Friends, this is the most profound moment where Jesus says, the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ himself, has been shed, the perfect blood, and forever and ever and ever, not a single sacrifice is necessary because he is the ultimate sacrifice. Know how priest has to go in before you? You become a priesthood of believers because of Christ entering in on your behalf. Do you know, if you experience the presence this morning in worship, you got to experience Something that only one man out of an entire nation for one moment once a year got to experience. My friend, the law is done for. That tearing of the curtain was God saying, I am available and open to the world if you'll come through Christ. But it wasn't finished yet. We see it in the events of Scripture that Jesus hadn't quite fulfilled everything required for this church, his disciples, to have the horsepower they needed to reach the righteousness he required. And we see it in a very strange moment in Acts chapter 1. When in Acts chapter 1, verse 12 to 26, it almost feels out of place with the rest of Scripture. It is the moment they have to choose Judas, that betrayer's successor. And it is my only claim to fame they have two men that they have to choose from, and the one's name's Matthias. That's my, my name in Hebrew. And what do they do when they have to choose a person? They say the criteria is they have to be with Jesus the whole time through his earthly ministry, and only two men qualified. What they do is they take out some lots, and they cast it to see which one should be chosen for the position. Now, don't you think that's strange? Here we've got a vision night coming up. Let me tell you, when it's time to choose a deacon, we don't go, here's some lots. Let's see if God likes you or not. One, two, three. Oh, I'm so sorry. What about getting married? There you are. You get on on your knees. I want you to marry me. And, and, and the, the, the girl goes, just one moment. Let me just take up my lots. Oh, no, it's not going to happen. Sorry. You're not the right person. You're not the soulmate. We don't operate like that, Right? It is so weird. When I read that part, I'm going, what the heck is going on? And then Acts chapter 2 tells you it's the outpouring of the Spirit. And my friend, the church is never the same again. Why? You don't need lots to find out what the will of God is. You have the Spirit inside of you. You don't have a physical temple where you have to have a curtain and offer all these sacrifices to get into the presence of God. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The glorious divine God of heaven resides in you by the power of the Spirit. When you come and enjoy reading Scripture, you enjoy the counsel of the Holy Spirit, the very anointing that John talks about in his epistle. It's your anointing by the grace of God. What my brother was preaching when he was sharing his word this morning was, you are able to overcome. Why? By the law? You have the power, the resurrection power of the Spirit inside of you that says, I am no longer a slave to sin. Do you believe that this morning? This is the Christian. And we go all together higher because of the power of the Spirit. Paul did it so well. He says, we fulfill. We go higher than the righteousness of the law. We are classed why? Because we walk by the Spirit. Teachers in this room, you love those children by the Spirit. 
counselors in this room, you counsel by the Spirit. Mothers and fathers, you parent by the Spirit. I'm telling you, as an employee, you do it by the Spirit. You will go far beyond whatever little book or telephone directory you could have of rules. Let me tell you, the glorious outpouring of the Spirit changed the church forever so that their righteousness, what what, what God pointed to in Christ, could be fulfilled. But I'm going to stick my neck out this morning and say, (laughs) there is a profoundness to this verse that I have to share with you first before you're ready for next week. It is what the commentators in their vast majority don't see. There was just one man that made one comment about this verse that struck me cold. And I'm going to share it with you this morning. I'm going to read this verse carefully in verse 19 and listen to what it says. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you notice something here? That we don't enter the kingdom of heaven by keeping any commandments. Nor are we kicked out of the kingdom of heaven by not keeping any commandments. See what it says. (laughs) I just hope this sinks in for you. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so, do the same, will be called least in the kingdom. Guys, what Jesus is saying here is, for the disciple of Christ, and even for the Jew, you were never saved by the law. Your position in the kingdom came by faith in the promise, and your position of, of being one who believed the promise, it is totally secure. And I'm going to try and say this in different ways because Jesus himself is saying it to us this morning. And what Vickers shared this morning is spot on for what I have on the heart of God for you. You are not cast out of God's kingdom if you don't keep his commandments. You will damage something. We'll look at that next week. You will do something. But you will not be out of the kingdom. You don't get in either by keeping commands into the kingdom. And this, my friend, is perhaps the most scandalous statement of Jesus in the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. Can I say to you this morning, how high is your assurance of salvation? For the Christian, let me tell you, it should be 100%. In this verse, church, Jesus is saying, once you are in the kingdom, you are always in the kingdom. Whether you relax the commandment or whether you exalt the commandment. And you can put in anything you like in that word commandments. Don't we do that? I ask you, can you lose your salvation? You'll say, oh, that's true, there's some criteria, not so. Well, let's have a look at it. If you're the kind of person like the comment, some of the commentators say, no, the law has to be kept in full force. And really, Christians are just Jews with a different kind of name. It's nonsense. The Jews rejected Jesus and are under the curse of the law. Do you want to live a life that's under a curse? <laughs> Do you know what happens? <laughs> Jesus says, he says, yeah. 
apply anything to it. Do you know Christians can do terrible things? A Christian who murders somebody, are they still saved? A Christian who commits adultery and wrecks a marriage and a family, are they still saved? I want to say in two verses' time, you know what Jesus says? Is don't think that we're so self-righteous. Because if you even get angry at a brother or a sister, in God's eyes you've committed murder. Don't even look at a woman, Jesus says. You think that committing adultery is the standard. Let me tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, and that means just looking or entertaining women, if you look at a man lustfully, you've committed adultery already before God. Can I be honest here? Let's do real life here, church. We're in the room of murderers and adulterers in the eyes of God. And you can apply whatever you like to that word, whether you relax or keep the commandment. Jesus himself, don't argue with me. This is what the text says. Jesus says, you are not in the kingdom by keeping commandments, nor are you cast out of the kingdom by keeping commandments. There is a consequence, yes, but your position is secure. And I'll tell you today, we are so fearful of what Jesus clearly preaches over and over of this thing called grace. We are so scared to make the bold assertions that for the Christian, salvation is faith plus nothing in Christ plus nothing. That we receive the status of Jesus by a sheer grace-given gift act of God. Because we think somehow it's going to keep us from stumbling. May I be honest this morning, as a pastor, the way you tell a backslider to recover, and that's maybe someone here this morning, you are far from God. You know, a Christian can be far from God and attend church regularly. You might be far from God Maybe even today is just for you. It happened in the 8 o'clock service. God had somebody's number, and they had been running from him for years. And God this morning came and met them and said, I want you back. But what are you calling them back to? Are you saying they must be born again again? Or do you believe what Jesus said, that they are saved by grace through faith, and the salvation they receive is not to be tampered with. If we think we add to Christ's obedience, my friend, we are in trouble. If we think we are, need to add to the faithfulness of Christ, you are in trouble. The only way you are saved is receiving this gift of eternal life, of faith plus nothing in Christ plus nothing, gives us the status of Jesus. And when a person is there in front of you crying, and going, I have made such a mess of my life. And let me tell you, let's do real life here. Christians make messes. Is what you call them back to is not to the commandments. That's not what's going to give them security of being in the kingdom. You call them back to their position. And let me tell you, that position is sealed in the blood of Jesus. Can I be honest this morning? 
if you have not come to the place in your life where you see that the grace of God makes you ask the question, is there anything that I can add to what Jesus has done? Is there anything that I can take away from what Jesus has done? Is there anything that I can do to break the status of Jesus in which I have been grafted into? Is there any way I can lose that? Then you have not yet asked the right question. And this morning, for those of us here who know what it's like to sin badly, you see what happens is you don't understand grace until you really need it, not so? It's like these scribes and Pharisees, you can point the finger because you feel you've got it so together. But let me tell you, when you're in a crisis like the prodigal son, the only way you're going to come home is if you know the Father is going to embrace you. He won't receive you any other way. And we want to try, and I'm telling you now, there is somebody here who wants to come back to God, but maybe even for years your conscience has been so stricken because of the decision that you made to go against God's will for your life because of some evidence of brokenness, what, what Vickers was sharing this morning. And some of us walk with years with that sort of sense of guilt where you kind of hope that by your coming back and doing a bit better, God is going to receive you a bit more because you've got no confidence because of your behavior in the past. I tell you, that way to live is miserable. And it is not for the Christian. You enter this kingdom by grace. And let me tell you, when you fall, you fall in the kingdom of grace. And my friend, if you're going to recover in God, you've got to get up where you are. And not try to rework what happened in the past is you come back to who you are in Christ. You come back to your position that your performance never affects. Why? Because Christ's performance was perfected. His performance was perfect. He perfectly received the Father. I mean, perfectly pleased the Father. And that's why we have scriptures that say, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in ourselves. In our performance, in the perfection of our faith, in our hot and cold days, on our good and bad days, how bad must your bad day be for you to lose salvation? That's the question I want to ask. We're all over the place, not so in our lives. And when you, when you are under trial, let me tell you, the weakness you feel in your flesh will tell you that you're not saved. Anybody here gone through a season of deep trial where God is delayed? When God hasn't come through in His answer? When you're faced with the weakness of your own flesh? And when Satan's breathing down your neck, showing you how you're getting it wrong, how you're never going to get anywhere, how God silences his rejection of you, my friend, in that moment, in that moment, I tell you, unless you believe fundamentally that Christ is sufficient in all things, for all things, for even for all sin, for all weakness, you are going to be in trouble. On your best day, my friend, you're in trouble. That is, you know what happened in my life? Can I be honest with you this morning? I sinned against God for years because I refused to believe that I could receive the salvation by sheer grace. And one day, God took me on. I did a course. I won't go into all details. And I decided then and there, 
I was going to get this thing right. Something happened spiritually on that day. For two years, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. My relationship with the Lord, I felt so far away from Him until the day, until the day I was on my knees in my room realizing, God, I can't do this. Even my best efforts, I cannot earn or keep the salvation. I realized that apart from you, I have nothing. Let me tell you the joy that came into my life when I saw the sufficiency of Christ in all of my fluctuation, in all of my sinfulness and weakness. I saw the Savior who was able to keep me through the storms, through the weakness, through the threats of Satan, through the delay of God. I tell you, it changed my life. Is this the confidence you have that when you get down on your knees in the morning and you feel nothing, you know God is receiving you because of what Christ has done? Or is it only in your good days where you feel, I'm actually getting this right, that I can be bold in my request before God? Friends, the freedom of the Christian is to enjoy the grace of God that dignifies you as a son and daughter in the household of the Father. Is the love for your daughter or son conditional in this place? Parents here. I watch how people give up money. Parents give up time. Parents do whatever they can to see their children thrive. Let me tell you, in the kingdom, if you're being disobedient to God, when He's working and cornering you, it's the love of God going after you. If He left you to do what you wanted to do, let me tell you, He would be a terrible father. Even the worst sinner, let me tell you, Christians do bad things. Christians make bad mistakes. And I tell you now, even the love of the Father can bring them back. Because when my daughter is being sassy, and let me tell you, she's sassy. When she's being, she's like, I don't like you. Don't want you. I said to her, my girl, I'm your dad. You have no choice. Why do I say this, church? And next week I will tell you, our obedience matters. Don't misunderstand Jesus here. But he's saying, he's not calling you into obedience so that you feel insecure. Let me tell you, he's telling you, I'm wanting you to obey me because in your, in your position before me, your performance does not matter. Because let me tell you, that matters to me because my performance is never perfect. And you have Christ's grace covering over our effort. Let me tell you, it is the most beautiful thing in the world where our hands reach into the hands of a Father that keeps us. And for some of us here, you're like me. You're taking so long to experience the joy of a clear conscience because you're trying to come back by the commands. I tell you, my friends, let me offer you some advice. I may look young, but I'm not foolish in this area. You need to come back to your position. The love of the Father. Jude says you have to keep yourselves in the love of God. Jesus says if you remain in me, you come back to where he put you. And in that space of joyful union, of a peaceful conscience, I know your circumstances talk to you. I know your children look at you and say you're a failure as a father. 
I know your wife, ex-wife, looks at you and calls you whatever name she does. Let me tell you, you have to forsake that and look at the Father in heaven and say, yeah, I know I'm far from perfect. I had to confess some tough stuff and I had to own up to some tough stuff. But let me tell you, my recovery is not based on my performance. My recovery comes from this understanding that even in my brokenness, caused by my own sin, my Savior still stands. But today, this is for the Christian, and can I appeal to you, this is why it's called good news. There are some here this morning that are not yet in the kingdom. And to those people this morning, I want you to answer one question. Are you sure? Are you sure you are in the kingdom of God? When I talk about this relationship with Jesus, maybe you've been telling, when you, is this something that is in your life? Dissect yourself from church attendance for the moment. This is not religion by association. I want you to answer one question. Is if you died in 10 minutes time, where would you be confident that you're going? That's the most important question in your life. Because the Bible doesn't argue with us. It says after this life, there's only two destinations. There's heaven and hell. And the question that you have to answer is, if you stood before God one day, would you have, and it's going to happen, would you be confident that he would say, come into my kingdom? If you are not, I want to say there's some things you have to do this morning. You have to first and foremost forget what people say about you. Because there's two problems about that. Some people say that you're so nice and you think that you're so nice and such a wonderful person, you don't need Jesus. That was my problem. Yeah. Oh, you're so sweet, Matthew. I have a perfect... My mother is the sweetest person I know. She trained me well. The second problem is if you think about what people talk about you or say about you as being your confidence before God, people can trash you, not so. You can feel like, I've got no hope of receiving this salvation because look at what I am. Look at what my kids call me. Look at what my wife calls me. Look at what my boss calls me. Look at what my dad called me. Everybody's calling me about stuff. I know that I will never, ever, ever make it into heaven. Is you can be so discouraged by what people call you or you can be so deceived. And I would say, forget about what you think about yourself. That's not what's important about salvation. What's the most important thing is, is what God thinks about you. That's the question you have to answer. And the gospel is called good news because we don't enter the kingdom by keeping commandments. That's the point of what Jesus is saying. You're in the kingdom if you've relaxed it. You're great in the kingdom if you've kept it. But your access to the kingdom is not by keeping commands. And that's what we do. We have these little moral commandments and mantras for our lives. Not so. And based on how we feel we're performing them or in comparison to other people, that's where our confidence comes in Christ. No, my friend, it's called good news. Because all that is required to qualify you, please don't misunderstand me, there is a lot to get hold of still in salvation. And not laying hold of it has consequences. But I want to say to you this morning, you have to have one thing happen in your life if you are to be saved. And the best way I can describe it is 
When you answer, why should I, why will God let you into heaven? You say, because Christ is my only hope. If you can say that, my friend, you're on good soil. The way you are saved is when you realize there is only one person you are leaning on for salvation. It is Jesus. It's not Jesus plus your works. It's not Jesus plus your status in life. It's not. Jesus. It's nothing. It's faith. It's leaning, putting your trust and confidence in one person plus nothing else. Jesus that makes us saved, that enters into the kingdom. And it's not a little thing. My brother was saying this when you were sharing it this morning. When you were saying, you are dignified. When you have that happen in your life, you will become a new person. You are born again. But it comes the moment that you put your faith leaning, that's it, leaning on Jesus, not on your good works, not on your deeds, on your behavior compared to others. It is the second you see your need for Jesus and you run to him. And if that's you this morning, you've never done that. You've never been able to express that need and dependence on Christ ever. You are not yet in the kingdom. And I want to welcome you into it if you're willing to do it. You don't have to keep all these commands so you're all nice and prepared to meet God. You have to meet Jesus. You don't have to wait 5,000 years to recover, to participate in the kingdom of God. You have to just rely on Jesus. Jesus is the start, and he's going to bring you through to the end. Yes, how we look at the end matters on how we partner with him. But my friend, all of it is founded on this grace that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And unless you put your hope and confidence and faith in Jesus... And this is how you do it. You believe he existed. You believe he came down as the son of God in flesh. You believe he was crucified on the cross for your sin. And that his blood, his blood shed wasn't for the person next to you or the person behind you or the ex-wife you can't stand or the ex-husband you can't stand. No, no, it is for your sin. It is for my sin. We personalize the blood. We apply the blood to our lives. We realize that apart from this blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. What are you waiting for? Where does your confidence lie today? Sterling? I'm going to ask us to stand. Lord Jesus, We think of the words of that hymn. I build my life on nothing less. Oh, then Jesus' blood, that unchanging blood and unchanging righteousness. I do not trust the sweetest frame when I'm looking at my best or worst, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Is there anybody here this morning that needs to respond to Jesus? Needs to come to faith in Jesus, who needs to come into the kingdom. I'm going to ask you just to pray with me.
if that's you this morning, I want you to say, Jesus, I need you. And then say, Jesus, I want you. Jesus, you know where I've been. You know what I've done. And I'm needing your blood to forgive my sin. And as best as I know how, I want to live for you. If that's you, I want to challenge you to come talk to me in the front after this. And secondly, there's some here that are really in need of recovery this morning. You've lost your joy. You're in spiritual depression. Life and the Christian walk has just been one task of the next. And you don't feel you're doing very well. This morning, I want to call you back to the love of the Father and the joy of Jesus. I pray, Father, for this church might we grow in the confidence that our position gives us in Christ in the midst of temptation, in the midst of delay, in the midst of weakness. I pray in this place, at this moment, a grace would come upon us to grow, grow into the stature of Christ, grow in the security of Christ, grow in the sufficiency of Christ. Might we become a congregation mature. Lord, I pray our delight would be Jesus. God, you're going to call us to stuff. We're going to hear about it next week. There's a promised land to be taken. There's things to be done for the gospel. But Lord, this morning you are saying, my son is sufficient. And I pray for that joy to return to this church. The joy of being rescued by the blood of the Lamb. We pray these things in your precious name. We love you, God. We thank you for the salvation. In your great name's sake. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.